Today, we're going to talk about attention. Who has your attention? Now, our, our grandchildren are a lot of fun to be around, and uh, they have different, everyone has different personalities. You know, everybody's got their own things, whatever. Uh, some of our grandchildren have been very obsessed with airplanes flying overhead. Like, especially like that one-year-old, that 18-month-old, like, they're always like, pop, airplane, airplane, there was an airplane. Like, yeah, we watch it go across the sky. If, they're a, if I'm pushing them on the swing and they hear an airplane, they're looking for it. Like, you know, they're obsessed with seeing airplanes. I, we did that this Wednesday with, with one of our grandchildren, and it brought to mind, like, I wonder what's going on in that plane right now, you know? A couple of weeks ago, uh, Dan and I flew out to Arizona. And we got on the plane. The plane was delayed. We were worried about whether we were going to make our connecting flight or not. But we got on the plane. We sat down. And we started to do on that plane trip what you do on plane trips, right? Where you start, you, you have a book that you want to read. Or I pulled out my laptop and I worked on some stuff for church. Um, you listen to some music. Maybe you watch a show. Uh, you take a little nap, whatever. Like, there's all kinds of things you do on the plane. There's all kinds of places to turn your attention toward. And I wasn't the only one on the plane that was doing those kind of things. Literally... Everyone on the plane was doing some version of that. Virtually, this is kind of surprising when I thought about it, virtually no one on the plane was paying attention to how high we are, how fast we're going, whether we're going the right direction, any of the important parts about the flight, right? Like, I looked around the cabin, I'm like, who here is paying attention to wind speed or, or you know, temperature outside? Or, nobody. They're all giving their attention to something else. But there was one person, I'm thankful, there was one person, at least on that airplane, that was giving their attention to that. I cannot imagine a successful flight without someone giving their attention to all of those important details. You know what I'm saying? Like, we can all have our attention everywhere, but on the important part of that, the, the, the life or death part of that, someone had to pay attention. We all know that the pilot has to do that, even if no one else does. The pilot can't get all up in his feelings and be like, you know what, so unfair. Here I am. Everybody else is watching a movie or reading a book, and here I am having to pay attention to all these numbers. I'm going to read a book too. I mean, literally every flight I've ever been on gets where it's supposed to go. So let's just, let's just lean into that, right? How is that flight going to go? Not great, right? Not great at all. Because Somebody has to pay attention to those things. As a matter of fact, I bet you if they got it on the loudspeaker and said, excuse me, folks, our pilot has become incapacitated. Does anyone on this plane know how to fly a plane? Suddenly, everyone's attention would shift. Nobody would have been like, like they're reading their book and they'd be like, oh, that's interesting and just go back to the book. Suddenly, everybody wants to know do we know where we're going? Are we okay? Is everything, what's happening? Are we high enough? Are we fast enough? Are we, go, like all of those details suddenly become very, very important to us. But if no one is paying attention to the flight information and directing the plane accordingly, then I'm sure there's not much chance that that plane is going to have a safe journey. So if we take that idea that we all know and we all understand, and we think about it in the way that we live, it may be easier for us to understand why some people's lives crash and burn. It may have something to do with where their attention is. I would say for all of us, today is a day to challenge that fundamental reality of life. What if there are actually really important things in life that we need to pay attention to so that we don't wind up where we don't want to be? What if 
There's stuff that matters that you have not taken any time to look at, to think about, to pay attention to. You've got so much stuff on your mind and so much busy in your life that you don't have any space to think about it. And then you wonder why your life winds up someplace you didn't want to go. Why your heart feels something that you would rather it not feel. Maybe it has to do with attention. What if it's possible to give our attention to stuff that is basically irrelevant, that is fading fast? Is that possible? I know we have in this world, we are in this world, but not of this world. So while we're in this world, we have to interface with this world. That means we have to give some portion of our attention to things like, well, how much money do I have coming in? And can I pay my bills? And, and what do I need to do next Thursday? And when's my doctor's appointment? There's some amount we have to pay attention to this life. But I'm wondering if that's all we give our attention to. I wonder if there's stuff in our life that has taken on too much of our attention, more than it needs to, because we're enjoying it, because everyone else is enjoying it, and so I'd rather give my attention to that without asking myself the question, where should my attention be? And what I would say is, as we, as we kind of start to wrap up this series on being in the world, but not of the world, we are in the world, but if we choose to direct our attention and our focus the way that the world does, then we will be of the world too. If we allow ourselves to focus on what the world focuses on, to, to hear their opinions, to process the world through their lens, we're gonna wind up looking like we're of the world, not just in it, but of it. And I would say, for a believer, living like the world, living like we're of the world, is a, a life of, full of tension and despair like no other. Because if you're a child of God, you've received some astounding things through the grace of God. Eternal life, forgiveness, redemption, hope, peace. Joy. You've received these things by the grace of God. So when I turn from that and live for lesser things, it's this huge downgrade in my life. I know there's something more. I know there's something else. I have it in my soul, but I just, I can never find it. And I keep chasing it in things that won't bring it to me. And so I wind up, because I haven't directed my attention towards what's actually mattering, I wind up in despair. I wind up feeling very, very empty. If we don't define ourselves the, 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 by the way the Bible shall, tells us we are supposed to, if we don't declare ourselves to be children of God, living for what matters, we will live less. But when we understand who we've been made, it's why all of the things we've talked about, we don't define ourselves by our desires, by our wishes. We speak up for Jesus, even if they're gonna reject Jesus, even if they're gonna reject us. We don't chase after money and power. Like, like, we live not of the world in part because of what we turn our attention towards. And I would say to you, maybe you're like in your soul, yes, Jesus is Lord. Yes, he's my master. Yeah, he's worthy. Yeah, he's worth it. But I wonder if you're living like he's worthy. I wonder if you're living with your attention enough on his things and him. The fact is, you will drift towards what you are regularly looking at. When I was teaching my kids to drive, I was, one of the things I told them is, where your eyes are, the car will follow. 
right? So you're driving down the road, you see something on the side of the road, you look over the side of the road, what happens? Here goes the car. Because your eyes take, where your eyes go, that's where you tend to direct your life. I would say, take a look this morning at where your eyes have been directed. And maybe notice why your life is going the direction that it's going. If we're going to be in the world, but not of the world, we need to sort out who has our attention, who's worth listening to, what influences are dominating my life, and what effect are they having on my life. Today is a call to be aware and to evaluate my life through the Word of God. So we're going to go to Proverbs chapter 4. That's where I said we're going to start. Proverbs is a book of godly wisdom. And because it's a book of godly wisdom, any particular verse, you might, it might just be a wisdom principle. It might not be an absolute thing because wisdom often works like that. This is a wise thing to do in this situation, but not in that situation. But as you read the book of Proverbs, when you find a theme that shows up over and over and over and over and over again, it's a truth. It's a solid truth. And one of those ideas is what we're talking about today, the idea of be careful where you give your attention. So Proverbs chapter four, read with me verse 20 down to verse 23. It says this. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So there is an instruction here, and it is not a, an isolated instruction. We see it so often in Scripture. The first principle of wisdom here, the first principle of directing your focus is that we should be paying attention to what is happening in our heart, to what is happening in our soul. And when he says, guard your heart, what he's telling you is that the stuff that we casually or naturally pay attention to is most of the time stuff that will harm our heart. The stuff you are most drawn to as a human being. So let's say somebody hurt you, somebody wounded you. What is your attention drawn towards? The pain, the hurt, the betrayal, that wound, right? And so my focus is drawn towards that. Now, as I live in that, let's say two years later, I'm still focused on that hurt and that pain and that betrayal. Has that helped me or hurt me? So I am drawn drawn towards things that don't help me in my soul. So the, the author of Proverbs, Solomon here is saying, guard your heart. It is the center of your life. Everything that happens in your life comes out of that. So you need to guard what you pay attention to and what its effect is on your heart above all else. But see, today in our world, we don't even think about guarding our heart. We don't even think about what's happening to our heart. We are so overscheduled and obligated. We are so packed in our days and our weeks. We don't have energy to evaluate what we're listening to, what we're focusing on, what we're giving our attention to, or what we're told. Because even though it's our highest priority, we don't have any space in our life for it. And so we kind of like shrug as though there's no other option than just to be unguarded in our heart which is a trap the enemy sets for us. It's a trap that we get sucked to, into in our own flesh. So the starting place for us to see if we're mistakenly giving our attention to something worthless or poisonous, Solomon says, look at your heart. How is my diet of focus and attention impacting my soul? Am I more at peace? Am I more sure of the promises of Jesus? 
Do I feel closer to him? Do I know his presence in my life? Am I confident in my forgiveness and the grace of God poured out of my life? Am I, am I sure of, of the eternity that he has promised me? Or am I angry? Am I worn out? Am I frustrated? Am I bitter? Am I in despair? Am I anxious? Am I worried? Am I overcome with fear? What's happening in my heart? What Solomon says is what happens in your heart is a result of what you paid attention to. So he says, so pay attention to this. Turn your ears towards this. Don't let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. It talks about intentional and passion. It talks about on purpose. And it talks about it as though it is really, really important that we pay attention to what we're paying attention to because it will have impact on our soul. What am I taking in that's affecting my heart like this? If it's not, my heart is not responding as though Jesus were here and that, oh, as though what he says is true, then I'm not responding to Jesus. I probably haven't given enough attention to Jesus. I've probably given too much attention to other things. Does that make sense? He says, my words, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. These are words of godly wisdom. He says, don't let them out of your sight. Because why? Because they are life. Meaning when you ignore them, you don't get life. If you want to be alive, he says, pay attention to what you're paying attention to. Pay attention to your heart. You will not feel alive or live healthy without keeping your attention turned towards godly wisdom. So this first passage asks us, look at the condition of your heart. Are you guarding it? What dominates your attention? Where's your focus throughout your days and throughout your week? What effect is that having on you? Is it having life and health being poured into your soul or is it something else? Another principle from this idea of where your attention's turn, it's a theme, again, throughout Proverbs. I'm gonna go back to Proverbs chapter one, verse 20. And what we find here is this. It's the reason that, that Solomon says, guard your heart. Because what he says is it's natural, it is most natural for people to ignore what they should pay attention to and listen to what they should not. It is, and that includes you and that includes me. It is most normal for people to listen to what they shouldn't and ignore what they need to hear. Now, some of you parents are like, yeah, my kids are just like that, right? But we are, all of us, like that. That's the understanding from Proverbs 1. Here's what it says. Out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. On top of the wall, she cries out. At the city gate, she makes her speech. So when you start up here and you get the sense that wisdom being personified is calling out, like trying to get people's attention in the public square, shouting out loud, look, 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 trying to get people's attention because there's a message here. And the message, verse 22, how long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Repent at my rebuke. Then I will pour out my thoughts to you. I will make known to you my teachings. But since you refuse to listen when I call and no one pays attention when I stretch out my hand, since you disregard all my advice and do not accept my rebuke, I in turn will laugh when disaster strikes you. I will mock when calamity overtakes you. And the idea there, wisdom being personified is that we, in, we like to turn our attention toward what we enjoy hearing. And what we enjoy hearing is often not what we need to hear. 
And so we listen to what makes us feel like we can relax, what makes us feel comfortable, what makes us feel good. But we sometimes, and I would say more often than not, that is not what will bring good to our soul. There are things that we need to hear. So wisdom here is like making a big spectacle, a big show. Look at me, look at me, look at me. I'm trying to save you from destruction. But the picture here is that mankind is bent on foolishness instead. Now we can see that in other people very easily. Our world used to recognize what foolishness is. Now they've decided we don't care that it's foolishness. As a matter of fact, we're going to relabel it. We'll rebrand it as things like freedom and independence, uh, self-determination. Even this is new wisdom. This is wisdom progressed, right? So Solomon, under, under inspiration, puts this, uh, these words in wisdom personified saying, how long are you going to keep finding ways to live with your attention on what is foolishness? He says, turn. He says, repent. Why? Because disaster is inevitable when you live foolishly. And we all tend to live foolishly unless we intentionally turn our attention towards godly wisdom. So Christians, we should do that on purpose. You have a certain amount of resources in your life. You have a certain amount of time. You have a certain amount of money. Those are resources that are limited. If you spend it here, you can't spend it there. One of the resources you are given is your attention. And we need to be better stewards of our attention. We need to watch where we give our attention. So he says, choose to seek wisdom. Choose to turn towards it. I'm going to go over to Proverbs chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Same idea, but it tells us maybe how or why we would turn our attention towards it. It says this, my son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as for silver, and search for it as for hidden treasure. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So in other words, anytime I have a conversation with the Lord, what he says to me is true, is wise, brings understanding, brings wisdom to me, right? So Christians, we should be filled with wisdom. Are all the Christians you know filled with wisdom? Why not? Because we don't turn our ear towards him. We turn our ear other way. So what he says is, if you want to know why you don't, it's because you don't value it. Did you see that? He says, you should search for it like you like you've saw a pile of silver. And you're, if I said to you today, there are three bars of gold in this church building somewhere. Whoever finds them can have them. How many of you are about to get out of your seat? Not even wait till the end of the service. Because we're like gold. That could, that could solve a lot of stuff. Where is it? Let's go find it. That hidden treasure. What he says is, you value what is passing away. You value worth, wealth, and, and value that is temporal. What you should value like that, what you should be passionate about, what you should immediately want to go find is what lasts forever, wisdom. What we, the reason we turn away from it is because we don't treasure it. We don't value it like that. True wisdom is not found in learning or knowledge. It's found in seeking the Lord because the Lord gives wisdom. Our world doesn't seek him because God is just a killjoy to them, right? 
He's the person that says, you're not allowed to do this, and you're not allowed to do that, and you don't know better, I know better. And they're like, we don't need all that. But believers, we know differently. We know that God is our hope, our joy, our savior, our redeemer, our peace, our life. We know that he is everything to us. And so we sing, my God, my God, I need you more than ever. It reminds me of a song we sang the first Sunday we were together as a church. I need you more, more than yesterday. That idea of being desperate for him is life-giving. But so many of us in the business of life, Jesus is nice off to the side, but he's not front and center in my life. It's because we don't give our attention to him. He says, turn your ear towards wisdom. So I want to end by talking about this. Where would we turn if we wanted wisdom in our life? How does the Lord give us wisdom? Practically, what's that look like? Well, Jesus, we saw in One Night with Jesus, talks about the spirit that's in us. In John 16, that we have the Holy Spirit inside of us to give us wisdom. We know that we can talk to him in prayer. So those are ways that we interact with God. But I want to give you two practical things that we can turn our attention towards. You can put them on your calendar. You can actually measure it in your life. And you can know that you are building into your week intentional turning of your ear towards the input you need spiritually. Two things. One of them is God-given spiritual influences. This is a major theme in Proverbs. It is over and over and over again. I want to go back to Proverbs 1 and read you verse 8. It says this, listen, my son, to your father's instructions. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. If I jump down to verse 10, my son, if I jump down to verse 15, my son, even the verses I read to you already, my son, there is a major theme through scripture and especially in Proverbs of this idea. It's found again in Proverbs 2.1, in Proverbs 3, 3.1, 3.11, 3.21, 4.1, 4.20, 5.1, 5.7, 5.20, 6.1, 6.20, 7.1. That's just the first seven chapters. This idea that God, by parentage, has given sources of input and wisdom to others to listen to. And the picture in Proverbs is, if you turn a deaf ear towards those God has given you as spiritual influences, you're turning away from wisdom. Now, as you grow up, your parents become less of that, and there are other influences. You get people that are spiritual influences like pastors and elders or mentors. You get spiritual uh, friends that, that speak into your life. So God blends all this in together. And maybe in your life, some of those people that God gave you let you down, and you become hopeless or scarred from that. But here's how good God is. If the person that God gave you that was supposed to fulfill that role in your life fails, he doesn't just throw up his hand and say, oh, well, I tried. He brings other people. So you can look around in your life right now and you can see there are God-given spiritual influences in your life that are supposed to be there for you to pay attention to, to give time to, so that they will give you wisdom from God. How would you know when you saw them? There are people who live like Jesus, people who give away instead of keeping for themselves. People who humble themselves instead of seeking their own glory. People who serve others instead of looking to be served. They're people who live like Jesus. And they're people that are around you in your life. And so I would ask you, if you can know who they are, if you don't know who they are, that's a conversation you should have with God. God, who are the spiritual influences you want me to listen to? And then how would a person direct their attention to those God-given spiritual influences? How would you do that? Church is a thing. Small group is a thing. Like there are ways that we intend, listening to Christian music, listening to some podcasts, there there are ways that you can turn your attention deliberately towards God-given spiritual 
influences. Are you? Are you turning your attention enough towards these influences in your life? Do you know who they are? And are you intentionally finding times to receive what God wants to give you through them? So spiritual influences. The other one is the thing that I asked you to open. It's God's word. Not just paying attention to God's people, but what he says here. Psalm 119, 105 says this. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. The New Testament, Paul says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Meaning, and that's just two verses of many. Meaning, God's word is our guide. This is God's wisdom to you. They are a place that we go to find what he has to say to us. Today, it's become popular to go here and find things that prove what you think. That's not what the Bible's here for. The Bible is not here to be a tool in your hands to win your argument. It is a place where we go to learn what God says. And the Bible does not make us comfortable in our foolishness. If you've got foolishness in your life and you're reading the Bible and you don't feel uncomfortable about your foolishness, you're not really reading the Bible. Because the Bible convicts and rebukes. The Bible unsettles. The Bible challenges you. That's what, what Paul said in Timothy, right? The Bible is going to shake you up. It's going to confront you. The world thinks, well, the, the Bible's nice and fine. It's, it's good to put a meme up with a verse that means something I want it to mean, whatever. But as believers, I would seek this as though I were seeking treasure. I would look into this and I would read it and I would listen to it and I would ask God to show it to me because it's the wisdom of God in my soul. We submit ourselves to the truth that it teaches and we ask the spirit to guide us. So the key here is pretty simple. What am I saying to us today? What has your attention? What has your attention? And what effect does where your attention is have on your soul? Is your soul well? Is it well with your soul? If not, what Solomon says is take a look at what you're taking in, what you've turned your ear towards. If we're going to be in the world, but not of the world, we have to turn our hearts away from the wisdom and the ways of the world and intentionally turn them towards Jesus. Let's close our service this morning with a word of prayer. We'll be dismissed. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for this sacrifice that we have just turned our attention towards. I pray, Father, you would help us as we go from this place to understand what we've looked at in Scripture today and to know how to live it in our lives that you would be the center of our lives, that it wouldn't be just something we believe in the background. It would be something that our attention is on more regularly, enough to change the way we live, to bring life to our souls, to help us guard our hearts, to help us live into what you've made us. Help us, Father, we pray, for it's in the name of Jesus. Amen.